Lorenzi, Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa che Go! 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 il magnifico, il magnifico, il magnifico rettore! Live! Boom! Boom! Shake, shake! The entertainment capital of the world! What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! The TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but. Oh C'est la folie. C'est la folie. Game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, TC Martin. Largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. is now in in a good Tuesday to you glad to have you with us here oh yes Team USA victorious winner you know I just love the the soccer heads are there all the time but then you got the people that are actually now watching this because they're Interested in their country. Seeing their country win. That's what it's all about. USA defeats Iran today in a much-needed victory. USA needed this. Not only for the men's soccer program, but just for sports in general as far as the United States. So, nice victory today. We'll talk a little bit about that, of course. It's Terrible Tuesday. You know what that means? We're going to vent our frustrations. What has made me sick over the past few days? We'll talk about that. A little ranting, a little raving, of course. And our guest today, on the good side, Kevin Kruger joins us, the UNLV head basketball coach. Those running Rebels are 7-0. That's right, 7-0, no losses, and some pretty big victories thus far for UNLV. So Kevin Kruger usually joins us each and every week. We'll talk to him today and get his thoughts on the 7-0 start, the best start in UNLV basketball program history in a long, long time. And not all cupcake wins as well, too. No, he's got some good uh, wins over 21st-ranked Dayton a couple weeks ago. And then they went down to the uh, SoCal Challenge and defeated University of Minnesota, which was a huge victory, beating a Big Ten opponent. So uh, very nicely done. UNLV back at... Uh, in action again coming up Saturday as they go on the road to San Diego. And then they got four home games, including one game against Washington State will be very, very tough. That's going to be actually at the MGM Grand. So we'll look forward to that. Then the other games will be at the Thomas and Mack Center, including our good friend, the big seven-footer, the USF Hall of Famer, Big Bill Cartwright's team, the USF Dons, who were undefeated themselves until they lost a couple nights ago to the University of Davidson, the Steph Curry Davidson Wildcats, Bob McKillop's team's been there forever as their head coach. But, uh, yeah, USF lost to Davidson. They're six and one. So that's a big showdown that's coming at UNLV. And remember, UNLV and USF are part of a, a back to back home and home series where UNLV lost to USF last year at War Memorial Gym and the big seven footer, of course, a part of that program. He'll be joining us here uh, during that week, December 17th, when UNLV will host the Don. So, Definitely, I am looking forward to that game uh, 
as well, too. So we've got that on tap today. So the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, he will join us today. We'll talk a little NBA with him as well, too, as the Lakers have another embarrassing loss. So we'll touch base uh, with him on that. And then next hour, Jesse Merrick will join us over at uh, News 3. Of course, we always have uh, Brian Salmon, the new uh, sports director over at News 3. Jesse Merrick joins us occasionally as well. So Jesse's turn to join us today as we talk a little bit more about the UNLV head coaching situation uh, there. All right, so we'll dive into all of that today as well, too. All right, but we start with World Cup, USA-Iran. You know, the last time these two teams met was 19 19- 98. And it really was a similar situation. It was the knockout round where these two teams faced each other as part of the same group. And you got to remember, back in 1998, it was a very turbulent time uh, in Iran, in the United States, the relationships between um, our country and Iran. And if you remember uh, Ayatollah Khomeini back in those days in 1998, he referred to the USA prior to their match in 1998 against Iran as the Great Satan. Uh, yeah, they don't take uh, they don't take things very seriously over there, do they? But uh, remember that also was 18 years after the hostage situation, where Iran held 52 American hostages. They were held captive for 444 days. So that was a turbulent time, and there was a big soccer match that was part of the World Cup in that situation, and what happened was Iran defeated USA 2-1. to one. And that was an embarrassing loss for Team USA back then. At that point in time, the USA team unraveled. Uh, players blamed coaches. You started to see a downward spiral in U.S. soccer. Not that it's ever been at a high, uh, but from the men's side, definitely uh, that was a low time. And uh, there was a lot of infighting with Team USA back then. It was embarrassing. They lost to Iran, who had never made a World Cup uh, in 10 years. And so going into today's game, you had a lot of the same type of rhetoric of USA-Iran battling against each other. Uh, USA needed to win the game. Iran could advance to the knockout stage, the round of 16, with a draw. That's all they needed was a draw. So USA had to win. So there was an immense pressure on the Americans today, not just Team USA, but just everybody in the the sporting world, you know, thinking that, okay, the United States should be better than what we are in the world of soccer. And as we know, they are not a powerhouse. I mean, going into today's game, the United States was one in six in the final game of the opening round of the group stages. One in six. And they've had some cupcake opponents during that time. But think about that. To be one in six in group stage, we're not talking about knockout stages, in the group stages. That shows you how bad the soccer program has been here for such a long time. So there's not going to be any excuses today for the United States. They needed to win this game today because the United States is a better team than Iran. Iran's not very good. Not at all. But USA had to win, could not settle for a draw. Well, they got the win today. Today's match, United States defeats Iran 1-0. The USA dominated the first half of play. And uh, Christian Pulisic got the goal in the 38th minute to give them the 1-0 lead, and that held up. 
United States had 61% of the possession in the first half. And we saw this before with the United States against Wales, where they dominated the first half, had a horrendous second half. Saw the same thing against England. Not a very good second half. Well, today they held Iran without a shot on goal and no corner kicks in the first 45 minutes. But in the second half, things changed. Iran battled back. They had many opportunities. They were begging for fouls, begging for penalty kicks in the box. But Team USA hung on for a victory, and they advanced now to the round of 16. This is the knockout stage. So again, there's no more draws. You go to the uh, penalty kicks after 30 minutes of regulation, or rather uh, 30 minutes of, of overtime, all right, or extra time, as they, they say in the world of soccer. And, uh, and now they're going to face the Netherlands. They're going to face the Dutch, who are very, very tough. And that match will take place Saturday morning at 7 a.m. So congratulations to the United States. It's good for the men's soccer program. I think it's good for the United States in general. And even if you are not a soccer fan, which we know there are a lot of people that do not care for soccer, uh, it, it's good. It's good. So hopefully you'll tune in. You'll root for the United States against Netherlands. Netherlands are a 370 favorite to win and advance on to the quarterfinals. USA is in the neighborhood of about plus $3, plus 320 or so. So uh, is it worth a few shuckles to... To, to put on the United States, hey, USA could win this game. And I could see the United States taking this into extra time or potentially even into penalty kicks. Netherlands are nice, but they're not a very explosive offensive team. So looking forward to it. Yes, I love soccer. People know that. I enjoy it. I'm not a big Team USA guy. I mean, I always root for the United States. I do, but I'm a, I'm a German guy. I'm a Bundesliga guy. Have been for a long time, German national team. And and, you know, with a tournament where you don't have Italy, you have Argentina losing early, uh, they could be in question whether they advance on. The United States is in the round of 16. Germany is on life support. They need to beat Costa Rica, and they need to beat them by multiple goals to get into the knockout stage. So we are seeing more and more parity in the World Cup now. Qatar... It's crazy. Like I've said before, you're playing in November. You're not used to playing, you know, World Cups in November. Those are for the, for the summer months. You're not used to playing in the Middle East. First World Cup has ever been played in the Middle East. So give the United States credit for advancing this far and getting to the round of 16. Can it continue? Only time will tell with that. All right. So it's a good day for the United States soccer, but it's always a terrible Tuesday here. It's Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right, we've talked a lot about the UNLV football pr- program. Talked about it yesterday after Eric Harper announced that. Marcus Arroyo would not be back, and this uh, program continues to be a mess. How much of a mess is this UNLV football program? Well, I've talked about it before, but it needs to be reiterated. The UNLV football 
team has had eight straight losing seasons. 20 out of the last 21 years, the UNLV football team has had losing seasons. Only in 2013 has UNLV had a winning record during this time frame. And that winning record was 7-6, and six, which shouldn't be glorified. It's seven victories and six losses. You have to go back to 2003, where UNLV was 6-6 six and six at 500. So yes, they have not had a winning record for 20 of the last 21 seasons. But yesterday could actually be deemed a good day in the UNLV football world. And I say could with parentheses, all right? Because it depends on what happens next. But UNLV relieved Marcus Arroyo of his duties. Marcus Arroyo ends his stint as UNLV head coach with a three-year record of 7-23. and That's a winning percentage of 233. That doesn't make it in the major leagues. That's a number nine hitter at best in Major League Baseball. For a football coach, yes, it's fireable. But it's not just the winning or losing record, as I should say, for Marcus Arroyo that did him in. This was the Mountain West Conference. You were 5-17 and 17 in the Mountain West Conference. This is not pile on Marcus Arroyo Day because this is pretty much the same thing we've been saying since he got here. And his first year was 0-6. I don't want to hear about the pandemic. Everybody had to deal with the pandemic. Everyone had to deal with Zoom meetings. You didn't win a football game in a shortened season at 0-6. But really what should be looked at is what happens after that. After you have a year, you have a recruiting class underneath your belt. Had some pretty decent players coming back. And what do you do in 2021 with a full season? With a Fertitta football complex that is fantastic. Playing your home games at Allegiant Stadium. You go 2-10. and 2-10. And, and remember, UNLV started off that season 0-8 last year. So yes, three years is enough time for a coach to build a program and show improvement. So for those that are saying that zero wins to two wins to five wins is an improvement. It's not. It's not when you're talking about a Division One football program and you strive to win conference championships. Eric Harper's the new AD. How much will Eric Harper, how much voice is he really going to have? Is it going to be his decision alone? Obviously, the firing from Marcus Arroyo was not just Eric Harper's. It was pressure from the boosters because Marcus Arroyo was not a guy that was well-liked. He came in here with baggage, came with baggage from Oregon, not being a well-liked guy, personality conflicts with players, with administrative personnel. Did that carry over here to UNLV? We don't know. That's behind closed doors. But we do know that he was rather aloof. And unlike Tony Sanchez... Marcus Arroyo was not a community guy. I talked about this yesterday. Not a guy that was active in the community. You didn't see him involved in fundraisers. You didn't see the guy actively involved in the media. You know, we've had UNLV head coaches on this show, no matter what the sport it is. Marcus Arroyo, I believe in his tenure here, has come on the show with me on two occasions. When he first got hired, and then I believe heading into year number two. He declined some of those uh, requests to come on, which is rather strange when every other UNLV coach is is adamant. I mean, Tony Sanchez was on every week. Kevin Kruger comes on every week. Dave Rice is what was coming on every week. Uh, TJ Otzelberger, every week. Marvin Menzies, every week. But Marcus Rowe did not fit into that mold of wanting to engage. And this isn't a media guy mad at a Marcus Rowe. Not at all. 
because there weren't a lot of invitations, to be honest with you, coming forward to inviting him on because, as you know, if you listen to the show, this is a show that is based on relevancy. Relevancy not only in Las Vegas sports, but national sports as well, too. And UNLV football has not been relevant. We will support UNLV, as always. But let's face it, there is a fan apathy towards this program, and it has been for this long time. And you cannot blame fans for enduring eight straight losing seasons, 20 out of the last 21 years. And again, you're not in the Power 5 conference. You're in the Mount West Conference. Expectations were higher this year. Mount West, not very good. You got better facilities. You got a bigger budget to work with. You're playing at Allegiant Stadium. You got the Ferdita football complex. So yes, three years is enough time. And when you go seven and 23, you are going to not have a job. Especially when you have embarrassing losses. 40 to seven this year to San Jose State. You start the season four and one. Then you lose to San Jose State. You get drill pressed on your home field by Air Force 42 to 7. You go to Hawaii and you lose 31 to 25. Hawaii, terrible. Another team that is in limbo, a program that's in limbo, trying to find their footing. And then you struggle against UNR. Yes, you, you win the game 27 to 22, but UNR was 2 and 9 coming into this game. They lose Saturday and they're now 2 and 10. So yeah, it's not good enough. You know, when you lose the first eight games, of your 2021 season, and then you lose six of your last seven, including six in a row in this season, and you lose to your arch rival last year, 51 to 20, that's not good. But good for UNLV, good for Eric Harper to make this move because you should not settle for mediocrity. Now, moving forward, what should UNLV do? You learn from your past mistakes. You don't hire another offensive coordinator. You don't hire a defensive coordinator. You don't hire a high school head coach, you know, which UNLV has actually done. And again, like I said yesterday, nothing against Tony Sanchez. At that point in time, I really didn't mind it because you were at rock bottom. But now the program is different. You got more money to operate. You got more operational budget. You're in Allegiant Stadium. You're a Fertitta football complex. You are recruiting better players. The Mountain West is as wide open as maybe it is it ever has been in its history. So you have the opportunity to build a winning program. So how do you do that? It is really, really simple. You hire an experienced head coach. You do it. If that's going to cost you more money, you do it. It's okay. You've shown that you can spend money, that you can get money from donors. You've seen that. Las Vegas is a building sports community. It's a building, budding city with now over 2 million people here. So yes, you have to approach UNLV football a little bit differently. You almost have to approach it like you do with the Runner Rebel basketball program. You get an experienced head coach. All right, someone who is used to winning and building winning programs. It's an investment, so you do spend the money. There's no more experiments, and that's what the last four head coaching hires have been. They've been all experiments. Let's go through this, all right? Mike Sanford, he was an experiment. He was an offensive coordinator, right? Came what, from Georgia? 16-43. and 43. That was Mike Sanford's record, 16-43. and 43. Bobby Houck. You go and get him from Montana. He was a coordinator two years at Montana. You bring him over to UNLV. He was 15 and 49. Tony Sanchez, you couldn't get any lower, but he was a great guy. He's great for the community and had 
probably the best high school program in the nation. Give him a shot. Tony Sanchez was 20 and 40. Where his legs cut out underneath from him early, sure, probably. Probably deserved to play that first season in Allegiant Stadium because he raised all the money for the Fertitta football complex. So you bring in Marcus Arroyo, an offensive coordinator from Oregon. And what does Marcus Arroyo do in his tenure? He goes 7-23. and 23. Let's even go back further to the demise of UNLV football and talking about head coaches. John Robinson had a great career at USC. John Robinson had a great career in the NFL with the Los Angeles Rams. John Robinson was 28-42 in his tenure at UNLV. Okay? And not in a very tough conference at that point in time. You look at Jeff Horton. Jeff Horton was 13 and 44. He that was an embarrassment. Jim Strong was 17 and 27. Wayne Nunley was 17 and 25. Harvey Hyde was one of the worst at 8, 37, and 1. But Harvey's still revered here, but that's okay. Good for Harvey. I like Harvey. But he wasn't a good football coach. I'm just painting the picture how far back we have to go. We got to go back to 1976 to 1981, to Tony Knapp. Tony Knapp was the best coach UNLV had, and he had a record that showcased that. 47-20-2. and And then my favorite, my guy, Ron Meyer, former head coach of the New England Patriots. Ron Meyer was 27-8, and arguably probably the best coach that UNLV had, Ron Meyer. Then he goes to deal in blackjack in a, in a pit boss over in Arizona Charlie's. My man, Ron Meyer. Love Ron Meyer. Tried to... Was it Las Vegas Posse or the Canadian League team? I like my guy, Ron Meyer. He was great. All right. But the bottom line is this. 42 years of mediocrity. 42 years of bad football. Those are the facts. So when is UNLV going to get it right? Now is the time to get it right. And who will want this job? I pointed out yesterday, there are qualified people who have been head coaches that want this job, that actually have succeeded at the Power 5 level. Eric Harper, learn from the past 42 years. Don't hire someone who may be good. All right, Don't succumb to hiring somebody that might be a buddy of yours that's a coordinator at K-State because he went there and played there that might be good. No time for that. The fan base doesn't want that. Hire a head coach with a proven track record that's been successful. No more experiments. No more search firms trying to shove an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator down your throat. Eric, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Find an experienced coach who wants to be here, a guy who has high character, a guy who's a people person, a guy that can relate to players, a guy that can relate to everyone in this city, a coach that can be innovative. Oh, yeah. There are innovative coaches out there and has a positive history of winning and pay the man accordingly. It's that simple. It's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. That's the prerequisite. Those are the the boxes that you got to check. And if you're going to go for anything, what I just said, then you're going outside the box. And guess what? You're probably going to have the same thing that you've had for the last 42 years. Years. Las Vegas is a great budding sports community. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to visit. People want to come here. People want to live here. 
and people want to be involved with a city that now has the Golden Knights, the Aces, the Raiders, potentially an NBA team, potentially a Major League Baseball team. UNLV football can succeed, especially in this conference, in this city. Just hire the right guy. All right. Raiders, Seahawks. Let's go back to that game for a little bit. Let's just go to the first play because we talked about the game itself yesterday and how the Raiders battled back and they got the overtime victory. That was cool. The game really didn't start off the best for the Raiders. It really didn't start off the best for the NFL. First play of the game, let me set it up for you. You've got Derek Carr. He drops back to pass. Derek Carr throws an interception. The ball is picked off by Seattle defensive back Quandre Diggs. Quandre Diggs goes down, gets back up, and returns the interception. But meanwhile, defensive end Daryl Taylor, who actually was on the sidelines watching the play for the Seattle Seahawks, he comes on the field as Diggs starts to rumble downfield. Now, the only reason I could think that Taylor came out there to, because he thought the play was over. Because when Diggs went down, he slid down, but he was untouched, so he got back up and started to run downfield, gaining yardage for the Seahawks. But what happens is, is Taylor comes out there and starts, he's on the field, and then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I'm on the field, so I might as well play now. He starts blocking. He starts blocking Raiders. The play comes to an end. They're high-fiving everybody, and Taylor comes back off the field. Seven officials are on the field. There's no penalty flag. Nobody saw a penalty flag because one was not thrown. 12 men on the field for Seattle where a guy just inserts himself into the play. How does that happen? I don't know. Head coach Josh McDaniels thinks he has an answer on exactly why this happened and talks about how it happened. Raiders. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, you know, um, yes, I saw the play. Um, no, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, I mean, I think he went out there to like celebrate and then he ended up making a couple blocks there to try to help his buddy, you know? Um, yeah, they, they missed the call. Um, clearly, uh, that, that should have been a penalty. Um, but I'll leave that at that. You know, I think our, our, all of our offensive players came over and said the same thing. Like 52 wasn't even on the field. So I'm aware of the last 20 years relative to the statistics. Um, so we'll see if we can change that a little. There is Josh Daniels talking about, uh, the 12 men on the field, but laughing about it because the Raiders won the game. So that's okay. But we all know that Seattle is known for what? What is Seattle known for? The 12th man, right? The 12th man. I don't think they meant that literally like you can play with 12, but they did. And they got away with it. All right. The college football rankings. We are coming to the next of the last college football playoff rankings. Selection Sunday is coming up this Sunday. Looking forward to that. So let's take a look at what we got right now. We got Georgia at the top. We got Michigan number two. TCU number three. All right. What do these three teams have in common? They are undefeated. So now it gets a little interesting and probably not as interesting as as it's been in years past because there are a lot of teams usually in the conversation. USC 
is number four right now. They've got one loss. All right. Ohio State at number five. Alabama at number six. I do not want to hear Ohio State mentioned in the college football playoff. They've got one loss. They're on the outside looking in. They're not playing for a conference championship, but it's the way they lost. They should not be mentioned in any college football playoff conversation because of this. Michigan, 45. Ohio State, 23 on Saturday. Michigan outscored Ohio State 21-3 to in the fourth quarter. They outscored them 35-3 to in the second half. I only think Michigan punted in the second half. Five touchdowns in the second half. You got beaten down on your home field. You got beaten down by Jim Harbaugh, a, a guy that, in a program that the Ohio State Buckeyes have owned for the better part of the last decade. Yes, they lost to Michigan last year. They were upset by Michigan in Ann Arbor. But now you get a chance for revenge, and you don't show up, and you get beat down? Yes. Ohio State is done. Ohio State wants to go to a bowl game. Let them go to a bowl game, all right? I'm not even sure I want Ohio State deserves to be in the Rose Bowl. Now, if Purdue is playing Michigan for the Big Ten Championship, right, and Michigan wins, shouldn't Purdue go to the Rose Bowl? Right? I mean, they're the runner-up. Or are they going to succumb to popularity and travel and bring the Buckeyes here? That's going to be interesting, but we'll save that for another time. The bottom line is this. The eye test has to go into this. Who are the best four teams right now? Georgia? Michigan? TCU as we stand right now, they got a tough game coming up against Kansas State. And USC, I'll buy that. But Alabama needs to be in this conversation. Not Ohio State, Alabama. They're done playing. But you got Bryce Young, the defending Heisman Trophy winner, and probably should be the Heisman Trophy winner again. All right? So let's see how this plays out. What's the best four teams? That's what I want the committee to focus on come Sunday. And we do have some anticlimactic conference championship games. I mean, I am looking forward to going Friday night, USC-Utah, Pac-12 championship at Allegiant Stadium. That's good. But do we really want to see anything else here? SEC championship game, Georgia, a 17.5-point favorite against a three-loss LSU team, a Big Ten championship game that has Michigan a 16-point favorite over Purdue, Clemson, which I was banging their drum, but they got beat at home by South Carolina. You're done. Seven and a half point favor against North Carolina. TCU K State, interesting. USC Utah, that's meaningful. But we are heading into a very anti climactic championship weekend. All right, and we'll talk about that with our good friend Trevor Maddich up on the show tomorrow. And of course, if you got any terrible Tuesday takes, always love to hear from you. Hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21. All right, when we come back. We turn the page, we go to the hard court, we're going to the gym, and we're going to talk to UNLV head basketball coach Kevin Kruger as we talk running Rebel basketball. Get out that ghetto blast off! There's more in store around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin.